0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Andrea Jones-Roy. How are you doing today, Andrea?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
0: I am doing wonderful, and wow. you're actually literally the first person I've ever met from Maryland, so yeah, it's like a you, bonus. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. So, yeah, <laughs> is it what you expected? I mean, I don't even know, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I don't yeah, know.
1: I don't want to disappoint, you know, on behalf well, you, of Maryland. You're so. totally not. Okay. So,
0: I mean, all of Maryland, it's, you know, they're paying attention, so it's totally it's riding true. on yeah. this <laughs> yeah, one the conversation. the reputation <laughs> of, of a state that no
1: one thinks about otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, it's one of those that I have to lie, and I'm like, I'm from D.C. or Baltimore, and I'm not, I'm from just, like, Western miserable... Maryland.
0: So, <laughs> well, shout out to you, Western Maryland. Yeah, because yeah. You all Western all get Maryland a shout appreciates out. it. <laughs> so, I want to really ask you and jump right into oh. it. I want to know what is your story?
1: Oh Jesus! Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> my story, uh, it is one of uh, confusion and lack of planning, uh, where I've had like a bunch of. i basically my whole life been interested in a million different things, and keep. Thinking I'm gonna commit to one and then realizing I'm actually interested in something else. And so it's either a story, depending on your lens and depending on my mood for the day, of of like exciting career changes and like different stuff that I'm getting up to and living in different places, or a a story of like a sad lack of commitment. So I don't know which way you want this podcast to go. So you tell me (laughs) how you
0: wanna play this. Well, I actually wanna check out both of them. All right, let's do that. Let's start from the beginning.
1: Okay uh well I was born on a Wednesday uh yeah yeah uh I'm gonna actually keep going with this my mother I think this is a big part of my life is my mother minute I was born had like a huge chocolate milkshake and then apparently I didn't sleep for the first three days of my life because all Mm -hmm. the caffeine like it went into the breast milk and uh, so I feel like that just I'm like literally drinking coffee right now so that actually probably paints a pretty accurate picture for the rest of my life uh (laughs) for you
0: this first three days yeah
1: it's all my mother's fault is what I'm trying to say here (laughs) Uh, no, so I went to, I did, uh, I'll start uh, as a semi-adult. I did a PhD right out of undergrad uh, in political science at the University of Michigan and didn't really know what I was getting into, but didn't really know what else to do. And so I was like, why not sign up for this like eight year cult, you know? And so I did <laughs> and I got super brainwashed into, I don't know, if you spend a lot of time in academia, it's a, it's a dicey place to be.
0: I mean, I went to college. Okay. So Where'd you go to college? I went to LSU.
1: Oh, nice. So. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine from my program is now faculty at LSU. Cool. Yeah, he's. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's he's cool. He's great. Uh, he's very involved in the teachers union. Doesn't matter. Or like the adjunct fac Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> great place. Uh, so I went to a PhD program. Didn't know what I was gonna do. While you're in the program, they basically brainwash you into thinking that anything that's not a life of being a professor in academia is being a huge, horrible sellout and like not doing anything good for the world because why would you like make money by doing something for someone rather than like sitting in a room and thinking really hard and like occasionally teaching 18 year olds. So I did that for like, I finished my PhD and I did that at uh, Carnegie Mellon and NYU Shanghai for like five years. And then uh, I was like 33 and I was like, this is insane. I've been living in this strange, like I'd been in school since I was six, you know? Like Mm -hmm. I went straight undergrad college, right? Uh, Or undergrad, grad, Faculty and I was like, I need to know what it's like to, you know, not have a summer vacation or live my life according to a syllabus. And so I quit my job, moved to New York with no plan, and <laughs> so much. For, and I even that first year, I wrote myself a personal syllabus because I was like, I don't even know how to think about this. So I was like, Mondays I'll send emails, Tuesdays I'll have a, class. you know, it was insane. Uh, and I became a diversity consultant for companies. And I do now, I do stand-up comedy, and I'm also a circus performer, which I had been the whole time, but I've been doing it uh, in New York as well. So it's, it's a lot. And now, I'm like, NYU asked me to come back to teach a class, so I'm there part of the time teaching some data science and doing consulting, And but also free to hang out with you on a Monday afternoon. So it's all very complicated.
0: And it all started from those three days... That. Milkshake. With the milk. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'll have everyone know that my mother and I are both now vegan, and I think that's really a reaction to that milkshake that just like ruined me early on. Ah. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know. You, even though the dairy are...
1: was not the issue, it was definitely the <laughs> caffeine, which I'm totally keeping. I yeah, guess
0: some milkshakes are different than others. You really never know what's going to come. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. So when you were making that change, or, or right before you decided, I believe you said you were 33. Something like that, yeah. The years were,
1: get fuzzy at this point, but yeah.
0: when when you were really in that moment of transition, when yeah. you got inspired to make that move, were you in the the room thinking, or were <laughs> you teaching the eighteen year olds? Like, how did that really happen?
1: It kind of both. It was something I wanted to do for like seven years. Like at the, at the end of my PhD program, I was like, I don't think this world is for me, and. But it was like, I was so conditioned to think that this was the only right way to live and anything else would be less of that. Like literally, they're like, come to our career fair on how to become a professor. Like there's just no, there was like no other option, right? And I was like, in Michigan, there's nothing else going on. It was snowing just all the time, you know, so it was dark. And so I I had in my mind an email that first I was gonna write to my grad school advisors, then I was gonna write to my uh, boss at my postdoc, and then I was gonna write to the provost at NYU Shanghai. And I had it in my head, like written in my head for like seven years and I finally uh, wrote it, kind of, it was both like in a spur of the moment, but also seven years coming, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I taught a, sem- a fall semester of 2015. I gave a final exam and I sat there at this, sitting there staring at my students taking a final exam, like right before I was gonna fly home to New York for, uh, for uh, winter break. And I was like staring at these students and they were like, one of them was late and one of them was complaining. And I was just like, I don't want to deal with, most of my students are lovely, but I was just like, I don't want to do this. And I was reading this like newsletter from Lena Dunham. Like she used to write something called Lenny Letter. And it happened to be one about how she quit her job right before she became like a writer for, you know, all this crazy stuff. Right. And she was like, one of the lines was, she was like sitting in some room and she was like, doing more of this isn't going to get me where I want to go. And I was just like, oh. So I'm like reading this while my students are taking an exam. Later that night, I'm on a plane flying to LA, that, then then to New York, and I'm watching an episode of, you know the f- television show Fargo? Honestly, oh, I don't watch it. It doesn't TV. matter. Uh, I've only seen the first two episodes, and that convinced me to quit my job. Because wow. basically Fargo is like, this. I mean, it's based on the movie, but the TV show is like all these murders, and they're all, it's like brutal, and all this stuff is happening in this small town. But the only thing I noticed was it was like the main character and his wife were just living this miserable, boring life, like, in the suburbs. And it was, like, comfortable and fine. He's, like, a car salesman or whatever. And I was just, like, I don't want that. I don't want a life that's, like, safe and boring and, like... And, like, the fact that they were, like, sending people through wood chippers, like, didn't even cross their mind. I was, like, these lives seem horrible. And so I, like, drank all this red wine on this Delta flight, paced around the aisles, and then the minute we landed in LAX, I, like, quit. Which is, like, not the kind of thing you want to like make a huge it was like the biggest decision of my whole life and I was just like that's it I'm done and uh, I immediately told everyone about it because I was like I will like the following two weeks I was just like all I wanted was my job back like it was it was a rough transition but it was I mean I I hope it was the right move but it was not easy
0: so it seems like it started with a milkshake, but the main <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> transition was yeah. with a bottle of wine.
1: Indeed, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even a bottle. I think on Delta, it's like a box. Like, this ah. is, yeah. <laughs> but I was living in China, where, which has many virtues. Uh, red wine is not among them. So it was a real, real step up for me.
0: So I want to talk about um, where you want to go. Oh, boy. And what you really want to do. Okay. Because I believe you were saying that article you read was talking about how if the things, or talking about how the things that she was doing at that point were not helping her get to where she wanted to go. Right. So where do you want to go? Right. Because if that wasn't helping you get there.
1: Right. And one of the big challenges, thank you for asking that. Uh, literally I was thinking about that on my way here today because I just, one of my big challenges was I don't know. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to find it sitting in a room thinking really hard about it. So I was like, I'm just going to go out and try a bunch of different things. So so the latest version of my answer to that question is I want to bring what I love about social science to the rest of the world in a way that isn't limited just to the those who can like afford to go to a four-year college uh, or even for those who can afford and went but are now 10 years into a career and don't have any opportunity to go to school in like a meaningful way either, right? And I feel like I really, one of the tough things about academia was I really loved what I was studying, Mm. but I didn't love the domain in which I was doing it, which is not, I have a lot of respect for this. I just wasn't good at it, which is like writing papers that like four people are going to read that are really hard to write uh, and teaching it. to. 18-year-olds who are great and exciting and open-minded and they're really like they energize me but it's like they also don't work in the world and so don't really know how to apply this and I felt very frustrated that I learned all this cool stuff and no one knew about it so the the long-term goal is to do kind of like a um like a like a Bill Nye for science but for social science and I'll say it maybe even a little bit funnier how about that Sorry, Bill Nye. I like Bill Nye.
0: Are you gonna have your own jingle? Cause he had Bill Nye the Science Guy.
1: I know Andrea Jones Roy, the social science guy. <laughs> it doesn't really work, you know, for anyone. So, so you know, this—if uh, you have ideas for jingles, uh, I'm now accepting them.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, to everybody who's watching and listening, this would be the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Submit know. them now. Yes. Yeah. Jingles winner, encouraged.
1: winner gets—you know—I'll I'll buy you a coffee to sing it into a microphone for me. <laughs>
0: So it seems like the 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 content or the what you were studying the topic. Yeah. That was very rich for you yeah. and that, and that still is very meaningful, but it seems like the vehicle was just Correct. not really not really the right one for you. Yeah. So And we, I think
1: my, my more serious colleagues in academia would be like, "Yeah, because she's not smart enough." That's why <laughs> but really? I think yeah, it's kind of a a nasty But I think it's more of like a, I'm not focused enough, let's put it that way, right? Like academics are specialists. And I definitely like, I'm I'm more of a generalist. And so taking really amazing work that other people have done and sharing it with the rest of the world is something that I find very rewarding.
0: Well, that's a very valuable skill because a lot of people, first of all, they may not even know where to find that very specialized, very important information. And they definitely don't know how to share that with the world in a very palatable way. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and there's a lot. So I thought when I left that science writing was where I wanted to go. And, you know, there's a lot of really great science, right, like Nature and Scientific American that does really great work on the natural sciences, on, you know, physics and outer space and all these great things, um, less on social science with the exception of psychology. So I was like, I'll bring more political science, which is my area, and no one knows what it is. So that's the other thing is, like, I spent 10 years in a cult learning a thing that no one else understands, right? Uh, mostly, they think I can predict elections, and I can't, uh, but I will say I'm a pessimist, so there's, there's my prediction for you. Uh, but science writing wasn't quite right either, because there, and it's very, very difficult, but it's like there the idea is to take complicated stuff and write it in simple ways, which is very valuable, but I want to go one step further and help people feel comfortable going to the original science itself. And so part of the reason I went back to NYU to teach this course Data Science for Everyone is because I really feel like we all can be scientists about our own lives or about our own company that we work with or organization that we're running. If we feel like something's not going the way we want it to, maybe we can conduct a study generate a whole bunch of data and analyze it in a thoughtful way. And I don't feel like we need to just leave it to the scientists. And I say this with like a real worry about like the pseudoscience and the fake news and the false you know data, blah 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 that's going on now. But I really think that we can all be more equipped to actually engage with science, especially social science, because um, you don't need a laboratory or fancy equipment to go around and ask a bunch of questions in a thoughtful way, right?
0: It helps. It helps. But. Yeah, yeah.
1: I use a huge microscope when I interview people, but that's just kind of for me. So,
0: yeah. So, why is it so important to you? Why? Why does that hold such such a place in your heart?
1: That's a very good question. It's almost as though you're you're skilled at asking people questions, uh, or do it professionally. Uh, it's. I, I ask myself that a lot, and there's again, there's a pessimistic answer and an optimistic answer. And so, the pessimistic answer is, I spent my twenties doing this. And my God, it better be worth something. And so maybe if I keep jamming this down people's throats, it was all worth it, right? Right. Or it's genuinely very exciting. And one of the things I love about social science and political science in particular is it really speaks to my, like, now we're getting more therapy. Like, it's kind of like an OCD for the social world, but in a productive way. Like, with you, I don't know about you, but like, if I watch the news or read the news or look at Twitter or hear about what's happening. It's very overwhelming and frustrating and I feel very helpless and it's like, why is this happening and why is that happening? And all these things are horrible and it just seems like it's getting worse. And and political science is about trying to actually unpack what's going on and say, well, what is going on? Is it getting worse? Worse compared to what? What does worse look like? What is you know, if Trump is doing something insane with Iran, like, what is this an instance of? Is this an example, albeit maybe an extreme example, of something we've seen happen 100 times before? How did it play out in the past? And so it's a way of saying, like, you know, taking something that's really messy and maybe even emotional, and not that we can't, you know, I think you need to deal with those emotions too, but you can also take a step back and say, like, what, what's the underlying core process that's going on here? And does that help us understand it any better? And so I like it, because it kind of just helps make the world... A little less messy, but maybe I'm literally like freaking out as I'm, I'm like, maybe the world is just a fucking mess. I don't know. <laughs> it could go either way.
0: Well, there's definitely that chance.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Why is it so important to make the world less messy, though?
1: I don't, I feel like it's just our only hope, right? Like, if we wanna think, let's take like climate change, for example. A lot of the barriers to doing something about it, if you assume that we should do something about it, uh, are human related political and psychological barriers, like people not believing in it, or people thinking, yeah, but what's the difference of one person, you know, if I, not that recycling even does anything more, but like who cares if I recycle this cup or use a reusable bottle, because in the scheme of things, there's a million other things to do, right? Well, that's an example of something called a collective action problem, which is any situation where a tiny individual contribution doesn't really make a difference, like paying your taxes, paying the subway fare, but if everyone doesn't do it, it's a huge mess. And then there's, because I can think of it as a collective action problem, I can then say, well, what are other examples of collective action problems that we've overcome? And how have we solved that? Like, getting people to pay their taxes, or, you know, occasions where, uh, you know, Germany is actually really so good at overcoming collective action problems, they conserved, they had a campaign to conserve water, and they conserved so much water that everyone's basement's flooded, because no one was using (laughs) as much water. So it's like, it works, and so there's tricks you can do to get people to behave in a pro-social way. And so being able to do that helps you, I think, actually figure out thoughtful solutions and think through consequences of solutions. And maybe if they'd thought further, they'd say, actually, you don't need to conserve that much. You can actually use some of the water. Or if they're going to conserve that much, let's change the way that we, I don't know anything about how, let's change the dam. I don't know how water works. Me neither. Yeah, water. Water. How does that work? Yeah. Does that undermine everything I just said?
0: (laughs) No. You know what I want to talk about?
1: Water. Let's get into it. What is it? Yeah.
0: H two oh, I think. I don't even know. But I'm really not sure. I'm
1: not sure. Yeah.
0: So by understanding the mechanism underneath. Yeah. The idea is we can unpack these really complicated, really serious, emotionally charged things, and we can break it down to a science and understand it. Right. Or them, more than one. Right. Whatever. And then from that understanding, come up with solutions that actually help both yeah. understanding the short-term and long-term implications of what we're actually doing.
1: Yes, and that is a perfect summary of the entire delusion or hope of social science, which is like, for a long time, we had the natural sciences studying the world, and we had the humanities you know, also studying the world, but not using formal necessarily, some historians will get mad at me right now, uh, so sorry in advance for the hate mail from historians you're gonna get. Uh, <laughs> Say, let's take the same kind of principled, you know, form a, have an observation, form a theory, have a hypothesis, test the hypothesis about the messy social world. And let's put that together. So that's where social science lives. But it lives in this strange hope that we can predict things. And, you know, humans are very, very weird compared to the rest of, you know, if you boil, let's talk about water again, right? If you boil water, or if you you heat up water, it boils. The equivalent for humans, if you heat up a society, sometimes it becomes a protest like we're seeing in Hong Kong. And sometimes it totally doesn't. And it's like, well, what's everyone else doing? What are we, you know, what are the consequences? And so what are the social networks? Who's deciding to protest? And so it's much more complicated. So we're sort of hoping that these principles work. And I think that there's some interesting evidence that it does, Um, but there is kind of like a hope that understanding humans in a concrete, quantitative way works. And that's what I'm doing with companies, is basically, you know, if you think of the diversity space in in any company, tiny companies, huge companies, it's very fraught, it's very problematic, there's a lot of subtle nuance and context and this and that about what counts as inclusion and bias and all these horrible things. Uh, And so I think that if we can unpack at least some of the moving parts and dig really deep into some of what's going on, we can better understand and say, oh, okay, the way, if we assume we're all biased, the way I see it really playing out in this company is around promotion decisions, and that's where the real change takes place. Or it's when you're in a meeting and you're only hearing from half the room every single time, then why are you recruiting all these diverse people or whatever? And so I think that that's like where I've landed as a microcosm of testing some of my own hypotheses that you can even do social science and expect something interesting to come of it. Because otherwise what? We're just like shooting in the dark, right?
0: Well, I think so. Which is probably what <laughs>
1: most policy actually is.
0: So how do you gauge the... And, and- Maybe this is an impossible question. Okay, I don't know, but I'm curious. I like so impossible questions. So ask. Let's go. How do you actually gauge the what the long-term implications are of decisions that you make today, with so many different moving pieces? Also, noting that in the time that it took you to like gather the intelligence and figure out how to make the decision, by the time you've then taken that mm-hmm. data and made the decision, there's new data that may have totally corrupted that past. Um, right. Uh, the, the results right. of what you got. So, so how do you actually do that in a way where you were taking into account all the facts? It's kind of like a moving dynamic thing where you're constantly gathering information. And then right. based on all of that, then you're able to make decisions. And then how do you then um, right
1: like understand <laughs> the
0: long-term implications? <laughs>
1: right, right, are. That question summarizes basically what you're asked when you do a PhD. So, so very good. Uh, there is no, you know, there's no good way to do it. One of the analogies I was given once uh, that I found very useful in this world, because it, in this domain, because you're like, yeah, whatever policies we come up with about, let's say tax policy, right? Let's just pick a really exciting one that everyone loves talking about, tax policy. Whatever we think the, the intended and unintended consequences of a policy are, we have a pretty good ability to predict what they'll be in like the next year. But who knows what's going to happen 10 years from now. You know, we're, we're dealing like with a lot of people talk about the financial crisis and point to policies in the 90s that may have slowly given rise to a bunch of things that eventually conspired to a, a big crisis. Right. And so it's like, how do you predict that? And so I, you know, you, you can quickly get very depressed, as I often do, and think, well, what's the point of anything? Everything changes. And the analogy I was given once that I thought I think really works well is the weather. So we are very good right now at making point predictions about what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. Like, we're, we, people complain about the weather, but that's because they don't understand probabilities, right? But we, generally speaking, can say with some confidence what's going to happen tomorrow. We can also say with some confidence that December is cold and July is hot. Some of that's changing depending on your, uh, where you are and climate change, but generally speaking, we know those patterns. But what we're really bad at is the medium term. So we are really, really, I, I would be very hard-pressed to correctly tell you what the weather's gonna be like a month from now. I can tell you it'll probably be colder, but I can't really tell you if it's gonna rain or be windy or whatever. And so social science is very good at very long-term, like we kind of know that setting up in your government, your government a certain way tends to give rise to certain types of behaviors. We tend to know what different markets are gonna look like in the long-term, right? But we're, and we're okay, you know, a lot of people make money in the stock market based on their predictions about tomorrow but we're a disaster at talking about the midterm term. And so I think that's kind of like where we live. And so that's why things like, you know, predicting who's going to win the election in 2020 is very difficult because it's such a complex system. and There's so many moving parts, but we can probably say with some certainty what the political climate's going to look like tomorrow. And we can probably, gosh, hopefully say that in 2024, we're going to have another election, right? right. <laughs> Fingers crossed, <laughs> <laughs> frankly.
0: So when you're thinking about how you want to play a role in in this whole Mess. situation yeah. that we're talking about, <laughs> we call <it> a situation. <laughs> yeah. um, when when you're thinking about your role in that, where do you see yourself? Um, you know, I know we talked about about your show, right? With you know, we're still waiting for catchy jingles. We are. Yeah,
1: I'm disappointed. I haven't had any sent in to me yet, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but, but where do you really see yourself and, and maybe it would be um, kind of interesting to look at it from in 10,000 years from now Oh boy! how do you want people to remember you
1: mostly when you said that I was thinking about those like what does New York look like after humans and it was just like these like gnarly trees like over top of like what's left of a building so I'll be happy if anyone thinks of me 10,000 I'll be happy <laughs> if humans are around 10,000 I mean who yeah. knows maybe we're done you know maybe that's, that's just you know it would be good for everyone uh, I, Supposing humans still exist, supposing they remember me, I think being remembered as someone who brought science to everyone, something like that.
0: That's cool. Thanks. That's super cool. Thank you. So, I'm curious, because I feel like it's really hard to answer this question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like how all your questions are like, this one's hard, yes. <laughs>
0: but what truths do you hold today? Oh boy. That you think you will not hold 10 years from now.
1: What do you mean by truths?
0: Like things that you believe to be true today that in 10 years from now you don't think you'll believe those same things.
1: Huh. Things like about the world or about anything? Just yeah. tr- I'm just trying to I'm like maybe I don't have any truths. I guess The one that comes to mind is that is kind of what we were talking about before is like maybe ten years from now I'll be like, you know what? We can't figure any of this out. Let's just live our lives. And (laughs) and I'll like (laughs) chill out in ten years or something like that. Here's one I would like to get rid of. uh, is I have this idea that everyone should have like one thing they're super good at. And I hope that in ten years I'll have let go of that and just be like, yeah, we can just be kind of interested in a lot of things and that's okay. Maybe that's one. I don't know. This is a a really hard question. Do you have any?
0: Oh, I'm sure I have a ton. I'm just not sure what they are yet.
1: Yeah. Because it's kind of like if if things don't work out, I'll like abandon like what I believe in about social science. (laughs) 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 That's probably the most likely at this rate.
0: So you mentioned how in the very beginning, your story is one of doing a lot of different things and having a lot of different interests. And it's interesting how um, you mentioned one of the truths, or you mentioned the truth being how we don't have to be really, really good at one thing. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that's been a recurrent theme through your life and why do you think that may change as far as the truth that you hold in 10 years?
1: That's a good question. All of these are very good questions. I think that, well, I I mean, the real answer is I have no idea. But I've just always grown up with this idea. I've always admired, let me put it this way. I've always admired people who are really passionate and really driven by one thing. And one possibility is, so my father is a filmmaker, and he is an amazing filmmaker and loves making films and lives and breathes film. And he's like, he's always getting, my mother's going insane by it, but like, he's always buying new cameras. And he's like reading magazines about like, he'd fall asleep reading about like the latest in, you know, documentary world, whatever. And he was a a Hollywood assistant director for a long time and then quit to become an independent freelance filmmaker. Uh, And so I think I very much followed, you know, inspired by what he's done, right? And I think I've always just wanted to have that. And I have friends who are you know, so I do comedy, and my friends who are comedians are just like, if you don't live and breathe comedy, you'll never make it. And they're right. And I've tried to live and breathe comedy, and I get bored. And so then I, but I, I, a lot of my friends are academics, and they live and breathe academics, and their whole world is wrapped around becoming, ten, be, becoming tenured, and their research, and all this, and i was like, wow, that's great, but I can't do it for more than, like, six months, and I get bored out of my mind. I do circus, and I train at a place called Circus Warehouse. It's really amazing, and they're all like, we haven't seen you in years. That's why, because I can't fucking focus. I'm sorry, I can't focus. But they're all there, and I see pictures, and I'm like, man, they are still working on handstands. I am so impressed by that. But I just can't ever... The minute I get excited about one thing, something else is shiny. And for, for most of my life, I've considered that a character flaw. And I've tried to focus on that thing, and then I kind of lose my mind, and then it ends up being this very like, unstable, churning equilibrium. So now I'm in this space, I think maybe for the last year, where I've just been like, you know what? I'm gonna be a crappy version of all three, and maybe a really good version of whatever this strange combination is, or maybe a crappy version, I don't know. <laughs> They're like, she is not only the only one, she is the worst one, which is mathematically true.
0: And the best one.
1: Yeah, and very mediocre, to be honest. Uh, so I don't know. So I've just, and, and I, but it's hard, and I'm probably wrong. And so that's why I said, like, I hope that 10 years from now, I'm like, no, 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 it's okay to be kind of okay at a lot of different stuff. I don't know. It's kind of the only hope I have at this point.
0: So it seems like when you were just answering that question, you mentioned, like, specific jobs or specific mm-hmm. specific careers. But do you think that same thing could hold true for like different fields of study I mean it seems Mm -hmm. like you've been in a very uh, like a a very specific like field of study where you are learning about a ton of different things but within kind of the lens of 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 science of social of Mm -hmm. of 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 political stuff right like do you think that could be your thing? That is your thing and you're just applying it in different ways as you go about life?
1: It could be. I've thought about that. It's definitely the case with the diversity work where basically I was studying all this stuff about politics which is basically trying to understand how humans in non-market situations, so we're not buying and selling things directly from each other, uh, but are living in a hierarchical power-based system and how we interact and what the outcomes of those things are. and companies live in markets and so there's transactions there, but within a company, we're not really, I mean, we're buying and selling labor, but we don't, let's, let's set that aside. We're really living in like this organization that's hierarchical and all we have as currency is like influence and power and respect and reputation and all these kind of less quantitative things. And so it was really amazing to me that I was like, this is the same thing. Like. It's less democratic, because you just have a CEO, you don't democratically elect a CEO, which is a sign that maybe democracy is a mess, right? But, because you're like, you wouldn't run a company that way, for God's sake. Uh, But now, we'll set my non-democracy thoughts aside, (laughs) that really turned. Uh, But so it was an amazing revelation that everything I studied applied insanely well. What I have yet to crack is whether that applies to comedy and circus. Circus, I think I'm comfortable to be like, let's just not take everything so seriously, swing around on some random stuff and just call it a day. And I'm happy with that. But comedy, if you think about, like, successful comedy, is basically observing things in a very precise way about the world and shedding light on it in a new way. And that's, at least to me, the kind of comedy that I find most satisfying. But you're like, oh, that is true. How did I never think of that? And for some weird reason, it's funny. And what's very cool about doing uh, stand-up comedy in particular is you have these amazing natural experiments every single night. So you go on stage, you say the exact same things, and it works or it doesn't. And you're just like, ooh, which was it? Was it the audience? Was it me? Was it because I paused? Is it my material, for example, uh, in case it's not obvious from our conversation, is, is pretty self-deprecating. And if I'm in a good mood, it works. And if I'm like a little bit sad, the audience is just like, oh, that's sad. You're like, oh, no, I'm doing it wrong. So it's like a tiny thing has a huge difference. And so that kind of principle is exactly the same as everything we've been saying with social science. So yeah, I guess so. I don't know, but it's like, that's the only way I can think at this point.
0: Well, it seems like you're brilliant at studying people.
1: Thank you. I don't understand people, so maybe that's why I have to put math around it.
0: (laughs) I don't think anybody really does. That's true. To be fair. That is true. So I want to thank you. Thank you. So, so very much for sharing this time with me. It's been very special. Um, I do have one more question for you.
1: All right. Well, and this was great, so thank you.
0: What question should I be asking you that I just wouldn't think to ask?
1: Why am I here talking to you today?
0: And can you please answer that for me? Uh,
1: Because I have no plan ever. And so all your questions about where do you see yourself uh, were very difficult for me. Uh, But one thing I do think is maybe a good quality, it'll probably get me killed eventually, is uh, I like doing weird new things. And so we hadn't met before and I didn't really know what this was about. But uh, I was asked to come in and I, I say yes to stuff. And I think that's something that, yeah, like I said, either will kill me or be what works out in the end. What is the I'm, other? Today it worked out. I really am happy to be here, and this is much better than looking at a spreadsheet at home, which was my other plan.
0: Well, thank you so yes, much. Yeah, for, uh, for bar, that yes, yeah, <laughs> low bar, but yes. Yeah. No, this was great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very, very much, and uh, to everybody who's watching and listening, I want to thank you all very, very much. Your time is very valuable too, so thank you for sharing that with us today. And I will see you all on the next episode. Take care now.